0: In the name of God, who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Anybody else want to preach this morning? Just kidding. They're great texts. You just have to dig a little bit deeper. The fullness of them, I don't think, is apparent on the surface, except for maybe the epistle, which is a little more wordy, because it's Paul. We're going to start this morning with Jeremiah, who I think ironically, is one of the most well-known prophets, I think, in terms of his name. I think a lot of the time when folks think of prophets, they they might be able to name people like Isaiah and Elijah, and I think Jeremiah is usually in that group. But I don't think most folks know much about who Jeremiah actually was or what his message was. So if that feels true for you, that's okay. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about it this morning. Jeremiah's story is a really interesting one. And to understand this little snippet that we have today, we have to kind of take a step back and look at some of the background. So it's important to know that Jeremiah has been, by the end of the book of Jeremiah, he's been prophet for quite a number of different kings. So he's worked with and for quite a few different people. And here this morning, we have him a bit of time after a good king has died, that king's name was Josiah. He wasn't an amazing king, but he was a decent king. And there was relative peace in the land and, and Judah experienced relative political freedom. It was a, basically a pretty good time to be part of the people of Israel. But Josiah now in this text is gone and we're a couple of kings later. And ever since Josiah left, The people of Israel have sort of experienced a downhill slide in their quality of life, their freedom, and their relationship with God. And of course, as we hear in Hebrew scriptures, these things are all very, very connected, right? The way in which they live into their covenant with God determines the rest of their life and how that all comes together. So if they've neglected that relationship, which they have for quite some time, as we know, their quality of life tends to sort of dissipate based on their commitment to their relationship with God. And so Jeremiah's message to them at this point, um, as a good prophet, is to sort of live with what they've created. To kind of, you know, we might say, you made your bed, now you need to lie in it. And that's kind of what Jeremiah's message is to them. It's not something they really wanna hear but his message in a nutshell is this. Submit to Babylon. You have been overtaken. You are a a people broken up and carried away. Submit to this new government. Do not rebel, do not fight back. This is what happens when you fall away from God, which is what has happened to the people of Israel. So now it's time to kind of take responsibility for what you've done live with that, and wait. Work your way back to God, be faithful, repent, and eventually God will act to restore you. Until that happens, submit to Babylon. Now, you might imagine that this is not what anyone else wants to hear. Their hearts have been broken. Their holy vessels have been taken out of the temple and carried off to Babylon. Subsets of the population have been carried off as well, quite a few people. They are once again oppressed and subservient to someone else, and they would have described themselves as a broken people. And in response to that, I'm not sure we can blame them, right? That's not the most pastoral message that Jeremiah could give them. It's not exactly comforting, it's not exactly uplifting. and for what it's worth, this is a, I debated whether or not I was gonna say this, but I am. Jeremiah actually is so unpopular, and his message is so unpopular, that at this point, he's actually been banned from speaking in public. So when he shares a prophecy or a vision that God has given him, he has to write it down and give it to someone else who takes it and reads it, because he's not allowed to read it himself because everyone is so sick of hearing from him. So things have kind of not gone well for Jeremiah, and for Israel. And then here comes this other guy, and, and here today, you know, we follow this lectionary, this three year cycle, right? So we only get this tiny little snippet today, which just doesn't give you the full picture, which is a shame today. So we get this other prophet whose name is Hananiah. And he basically says to the people, God gave me a message too. Don't worry about it, it's gonna be fine. Here's my message of peace from God. And God says, by the way, that we will all be back in Israel in under two years. So he puts a time limit on it. He says God is gonna fix this in two years. So don't worry about Jeremiah and his bad news. You don't need to do anything about it. Just wait and God will fix it. And that's sort of where we find the passage today. And we have this exchange where Jeremiah basically goes on to say, you have departed from every other prophet, <laughs> every other prophet who has, who has cried out for repentance and justice and for God's people to return, because that was the job of the prophets. Here you are prophesying peace. And what he essentially says to him is, I will believe that when I see it. Because the prophet's job was always to call God's people back to God. And I don't know about you, but when I have fallen away or out of sync or feel like I've messed something up and I think this is true for most people there's always a component of my eventually needing to own that and do something about that to take responsibility, to apologize to set things right, to find my way back to God sure God helps us but there's always a component of our own work God isn't going to do that work for us and so Jeremiah knows that Hananiah is a false prophet. That what he's saying and what he's encouraging the people to do must really only be because he wants to be on the king's good side or so that the people will love him. I'm going to read you this next portion of text just because it's fun. And we miss, we miss how this story ends. And I've invested enough time in it now that I think you should know how the story ends. So then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah actually at this point walks around with a yoke on. He's so committed to the idea that Israel needs to submit to Babylon that he's walking around with a wooden ox yoke around his neck. All right. So imagine that. Hananiah takes it and he breaks it. And he says in the presence of the people that God has told him that you know under two years they will be back in Israel. And then this happens. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars only to forge iron bars in place of them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put an iron yoke on the neck of all these nations so that they may serve King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And they shall indeed serve him. And the prophet Jeremiah said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, the Lord has not sent you, and you made the people trust in this lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am going to send you off the face of the earth. Within this year, you will be dead, because you have spoken rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seven month, the prophet Hananiah died. The next time someone tells you that the Bible is not interesting, I want you to tell them this story. There's breaking of wooden things. There's threats from God. It's a whole, interesting, full story. And what we have in this story, ultimately, right, this doesn't go well for Hananiah. It doesn't go well for the people of Israel who remain in exile much longer than those two years. But eventually... When they have made things right, when they have returned to the Lord, when they have decided to live again in right relationship and to live into this loving covenant with God, God does act. The God who loves them, who never left them, who waits for them to come back, restores them and restores their home and restores their vision and their dream. But God wants them to be a part of the work to be a part of the covenant, not just to sit back and expect that God will do everything for them. God wants them to live and to worship in peace, and among other things, to love their neighbor and to welcome the stranger. This is what we hear consistently in the word of Jeremiah, to return to God, to love one's neighbor, to welcome the stranger. And welcome was a little bit of a buzzword in the gospel this morning. Jesus makes rather a big deal about it. And here, too, we need a little bit of backstory, a little bit of context to understand this very short, seemingly simple gospel passage. It's important to remember that this part of the gospel comes right after what we've heard for the last few weeks. So Jesus is sending the disciples out into the mission field, to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near, to share the good news that God has acted, and that God has restored all people to salvation in Jesus. Essentially, that Jeremiah's promises have all come true, that God has done the big work of love and salvation, and that the good news is here. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus was sending the disciples out, and he knew that they would not be welcome everywhere they went. That though they would try to share the good news, they would sometimes receive hostility for it instead of gratitude. Sometimes even violence and abuse. He essentially says, they might treat you the way that they treat me. And so he warns them that doing God's work would not be easy. But still, he expects them to do the work, and he sends them out to do it as lovingly and with as much determination as they could. And today's passage is sort of a continuation of that speech where Jesus is nodding at the culture of hospitality that was present in the ancient world and in Jewish culture at the time, where welcoming someone would have meant more than just having someone in to be kind to them. It was was a big deal, and you offered the stranger everything that you had, the best of what you had, no matter what that might have been, whether it was food or wine or foot washing or rest or refreshment. And on top of that, the welcome was also symbolic in nature, which is sort of what Jesus is getting at here. You didn't just welcome the actual person who was standing in front of you. One also welcomed their whole family. It was implied in the act. You welcomed their entire community. In this case, you welcomed everything that they stood for, their message. So if someone welcomed the disciples it would really be like welcoming the presence of Jesus himself. And thus, as the text continues, welcoming God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. But then he says this sort of cryptic thing afterwards. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of the prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of a righteous. Righteous sort of dense and tricky. And it might sound like good news to our ears, but it's not quite what you think it is. If we look elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, the reward of the prophet is often talked about as being persecution and rejection and sometimes death. And the reward of the righteous, if you go look at Matthew 13:43, is that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, which also sounds great, but it means that this life here is over. So for us who believe that God has stored up something wonderful after this life, that's good news. For the community that Matthew is writing to who are being persecuted and tortured and punished for their faith, that's good news. But for anyone who prioritizes this life and comfort in this life and who thinks that this is all there is, that's not such great news. And certainly it's not a, something that would push you to welcome Jesus and the disciples into your life. So what we have here continued is this theme about the cost of discipleship. The fact that our faith doesn't spare us from suffering. In fact, it likely encourages other people to struggle with us if we're doing it right. In other words, the more you welcome Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, the more you work like Jesus, the harder this world will make it for you. Very much a continuation of what we've heard from the last couple of weeks. Our faith does not spare us suffering, but it does give us hope. It does promise us new life. It does lead us into right relationship with God and our neighbor, which Israel learned time and time again, and hopefully we learn in our lives time and time again, that that is where where real life is to be found, where blessing and goodness and hope is to be found. That right relationship is the abundant life that Jesus brings us, that he comes to show us, to give to us, if we're willing to hear it, and to pay the price for it. Lest you think I want to leave out Paul, I want to look just, he's, it's Paul that gives us the good news this morning, right at the very end. Jean, I'm going to leave out the fantastic reading you did there for the beginning and just focus right at the end. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. The end is eternal life. The free gift of God. Paul goes back and forth so many times in all of his writing about the free gift of God. And in the early church, there is this struggle between grace and sin. And we've been hearing that from Paul in the last couple of weeks as well. We never earn our grace, right? God gives it to us freely. And yet the implication in all of Paul's work and in all of Paul's preaching is is that when we receive that gift with open hearts, it opts us into the work of Christ. Because we fall in love, because we find community, because we feel connected, and because we know where hope is really to be found. If we receive that gift of grace, Paul seems to think that we will be compelled then to go and do the work that God gives us to do to not just sit and wait for God to act, as perhaps the people were in Jeremiah, but instead to wanna be a part of the process, to put our own hands and our own hearts into the mix, willing to pay the price and ready to follow. So that was a lot of history for today. Let me try to just boil down briefly the invitation for the week. Each one of us has a number of false prophets in the world around us, in our own lives, maybe even in our own minds from time to time. This week I invite you to search them out, the voices that tell you that you aren't enough, the voices that let you off the hook, the voices that lead you astray or that lead you away from Jesus and the work that you've been given to do. Root them out. And listen instead for the real prophets. And if you're asking yourself how now you can tell the difference, aside from that piece about the fact that the real prophets will always encourage us to do the work ourselves, which is key, I'll refer you back to our presiding bishop who says, if it's not about love, it's not about God. So if those voices speak anything to you that is not about love, you know they're false. As you do that, and listen for the voices that tell the truth, welcome the good news of Jesus. And look for the work that you have been given to do. Because each one of us has been given individual gifts. Each one of us is given a little puzzle piece of the work that is salvation. Look for the work that you have been given to do. It may be very small to start. In the gospel, Jesus talks about giving a a cool cup of water to one of the little ones. Most scholars think that what he's doing is referring to the disciples, again, with that theme of hospitality, that if someone welcomes them and gives them a a simple cup of water that is just a moment's relief from the heat and the exertion of their travel and their work, that that is a good thing. What could be more simple than just a little bit of relief? And then... As you do the hard work of all of this, give thanks for the God who never gives up on us. Even as Israel had fallen away, even as we fall away, God waits for us, loves us, aches for us, looks for us, and promises us that the end is eternal life. Give thanks for this, God, and make room in your heart for the promise. Amen.